You can support the Double Loop Podcast by contributing at patreon.com slash double loop podcast. Thank you to our supporters, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Double Loop Podcast, your source for everything about fingerprints. While you're working on your comparisons, we'll talk about comparisons. I'm Eric Ray. And I'm Glenn Langenberg. Hey, Glenn, do you know what Albert Einstein's last words were? Ooh, um, calculus sucks. <laughs> ah, I thought you were going to get it right. No, actually, nobody does. Um, his his last words were spoken in German to a nurse who didn't speak German and are lost forever. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, oh, but, I mean, I could just imagine on his deathbed just suddenly realizing, oh, right. the answer to the general unified theory is, and he blurts it out in mathematics and German, and right, it's it's lost. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, oops. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, okay. So anyway, I, I thought that, I came across that earlier and thought that was an interesting little tidbit too uh, to throw out. That is pretty cool. I am going to share a little tidbit with you, and it's it's an interesting plug. It's a plug for someone who has no idea we're plugging them. Oh my goodness! <laughs> there is a podcast out of Minnesota called Wine and Crime Podcast. It's Ooh. three Minnesotan ladies who <laughs> get a bottle get bottles of wine, recommend them, and pair them with their topics, and then they discuss the merits and virtues of the wine. And the crime. Now, they're not forensic people at all. I've never met them. I don't know anything about them. I've just okay. listened to a couple of their podcasts. They're kind of funny. They they make fun of their own really Minnesotan accents. I was going to say, uh, there's some Yule Betches. Oh, it's 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 pretty bad. And then, you know, one of them exaggerates it a little bit further. Right, but right. If you're not from this area, I mean, it's it's a har- it's harsh. It's a harsh Minnesota accent. And, you know, I, I, I believe listeners who know anything about me know I'm actually not from Minnesota. So right, I don't right. have that typical Minnesotan gait. But they should, um, in cadence, but they should, if there are, and it's, it's definitely a very female-oriented podcast. So, you know, it's uh, it's geared towards the ladies to get their wine and they just love their true crime shows. But <laughs> I found it very, very entertaining. Um, oh, good. And I might, I might reach out to them and say, hey. I'll come on your show, and you can come on our show. Yeah, uh, I, I like the idea of the cross pollination of of, uh, of semi related podcasts. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah. anyway, cool, cool. Um, all right, well, um, let's jump right into the topic for tonight. Um, you, you'd kind of tease this last week uh, because. In your discussion of the uh, the Daubert hearing, uh, you mentioned a, an article by uh, Kohler about um, error rate estimates that uh, lay people, potential jury members, make about forensic science, um, and these some sort of crazy, you know, one in five million, one in a million chances of errors. When you said in your personal experience, people generally say. 99 95 nothing on the order of one in you know a million plus so you you sent me a copy we printed it out and we're gonna talk about it right and uh, just a little a little background as you alluded to i talked about it on the last episode and it was an article that i hadn't read and kind of got caught off guard on the stand because it's referenced in in the pcast report so it was one of those moments on the stand where i went huh I don't know this article. <laughs> it went, okay, you got me. I got to go back and read it. And I uh, had a chance to, and just a little background on, on Jay Kohler. Uh, he was a professor, let's see, I think he started in Texas, and then he went to Arizona State. So he was part of a group there, like the Michael Sachs group, yep. S-A-K-S, yep. and uh, some other professors that were involved in uh, juror testing and such. And, you know, it was part of a, a pretty strong forensics legal program that, that they had there. And, in fact, it's where Kerry Hall went to school and, you know, was part of that legal studies program there. Right. And... Um, Jay Kohler, he had written some articles early on that dealt with DNA, but eventually wrote an article that dealt with error rates for fingerprints. 
And I remember the first time hearing one of his presentations and reading his article, he kept, in my view, conflating clerical errors uh, with erroneous identifications. And he was kind of lumping them together and talking about CTS error rates. And so when the Human Factors Group got a big group of people together to sit on this and discuss error rates and try to in the end, put an error or a report together about human factors and errors. I gave a presentation at one of the first meetings, as did a bunch of other people. But I, I wanted to just expose this issue that you know there's different viewpoints. I actually, I talked about Badoli's view on error rate. That's this wispy thing like smoke that can't be measured, and you know, and zero error rate, which is where that came from. I talked about Badoli's view about clerical error rates. And, you know, Kohler was there and Badoli was there. So I wasn't hiding anything. I was just pointing out to the audience, you, you may not be aware of these differences of opinions. And here's what's going on. And man, afterwards, oh, he came up to me and he was so angry. He was very, very angry. And all I was trying to do was say, but Jay, when you calculate error rates, you're including clerical errors. But, and, he, and his response was, yes, but they're false positives. I... I realize they're false positives, but it confuses the issue to equate clerical errors with a true erroneous identification. And this is one of those things that – and then he and I actually exchanged several emails back and forth because it turned out that even though we had this emotional reaction, we weren't – we were just using very different language. Right. And once right. we saw each other's viewpoint, we went, oh, actually, he's not such a bad guy. And he, he, had, he has a very – very strict viewpoint, and I see where he's coming from on this, but he's reasonable, and okay, and you know he modified some things, and eventually I saw his viewpoint, and then, well, okay, well, he, he doesn't mean anything by this. He's just, it's a language thing. He doesn't speak our language. He has his own very specific statistical language. It was just really interesting because over the years, we developed a friendship, and I went out there and gave some talks, and, you know, I've recommended him for other things, and it's, uh, I... I actually really like him and his viewpoints, and I think he's got. I, I I think he's coming from the right place. It's it's often very critical, but it's not a bad thing. It's 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 how I feel about Simon Cole in some aspects these days. Is that well, it actually pushes us to be better, and it's it 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 doesn't feel disingenuous anymore. Back in the old days, it felt a little more disingenuous. But. Right. You know. Anyway, I just wanted to give the listeners a little bit of background there. That it was our relationship was very contentious at first, but just educated people, just discussing, open-minded, listening, reading, carefully thinking, critically, and going, yeah, okay, I, I see where this is coming from. And you know, now we actually have a very nice working relationship. So that said, let's let's talk about the article. So yes, all right. Uh, let's let's break this down a little bit for the readers, and if you'd like a copy, reach out to us. So the uh, the name of the article we're talking about is uh, "Intuitive Error Rate Estimates for the Forensic Sciences" by Jonathan J. Kohler in uh, the Jurametrics Journal. Um, ah, Jurametrics. Yeah, uh, volume uh, fifty seven, which I think it looks like it's the the end, the the last um, published. Uh, edition from 2016 um I'm not quite sure how they date their their articles but um the, the date on this copy is november 2016 okay thank you thank you very much all right so it starts off uh basically talking about the general background about error rates and the lack of forensic science error rates and the art the study that they're going to do is not just for fingerprints and that's important to recognize that yes. when he's talking about these forensic disciplines he's talking about dna fingerprints, handwriting, bite marks, and footwear. And that that's pretty important to recognize that because he often will talk about the lack of error rate studies and a lack of data. And for those those other four disciplines, that's pretty true. Uh, even at, at the time he was writing this, we at least had the Miami-Dade study. We had uh, obviously the FBI black box study and a number of other studies, whether or not you support PCAST view on that. There's a number of other studies with error rates, whereas some of those other disciplines, the other four disciplines, have either no error rates or very limited error rate data. Well, I mean, it depends on the one because, I mean, uh, handwriting has uh, quite a few from yes. uh, Com, Cam. Right. I Absolutely. don't know how to pronounce his name, but um, I, I have the first sentence highlighted, Glenn. I, I want to start off with this. Yep, sure. Nobody knows the rate at which forensic science examiners produce 
false match reports, or otherwise reach the wrong conclusion. That's that's a that's a pretty strong sentence to to start off a, a, a paper. Uh, I don't I don't know. Do, I don't know that I disagree entirely with that. I mean, we now have more data about fingerprints, but I, I think the point he gets into is particularly, I think he's, I think he's referring to casework here. Exactly. So, um, I mean, if you, if, depending on how that's, you know, he's defining this, you know, you could kind of make an argument that, well, in, you know, when you actually do, you know, actual casework, that, that part of actual casework is not knowing the right answer. So, um, you know, along with that is, is not knowing when a mistake is made, you know, stated so bluntly there. True. I mean, no one, yes, no one knows. And I don't think anyone can know, um, that, that rate, but I, I think it, it kind of also overstates things a bit in that there is some research, just like you were kind of saying that gives an estimate for, uh, for casework error. Sure. I mean, it's it's not qualified by any exceptions, you know, stating, you know, however, you know, we admit that for fingerprints, you know, modest attempts have been made to estimate error rates under research conditions because, I mean, his comparison is to medicine where there are hundreds and hundreds of error rate studies that examiners didn't know they were being tested and images were slipped into the middle of their, you know, their diagnostic testing and they don't know if it's a fake case or a testing case. Right. So, I mean, to his point, they've done a much better job. If, if that's the gold standard, we fall well short of that. But we also fell well, well short of the funding that they have too. That's true, true. One of the things I was looking for right away with, in, in, with that statement is – is any kind of uh, reference. So in that statement says have a, a, does have a footnote, but the footnote is solely a definition of what a false match is. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I would think that which is a bold opening statement there, that there be some reference to anything, you know, that anything that would demonstrate that this is, you know, this is the case uh, across all of forensic science. All right, reasonable reasonable people can interpret that differently, but I'm I, I I'm used to reading articles that punch you in the gut, so I, I expect the first statement to be there's nothing on this. Got it. Okay, the first section is just kind of a review of of these uh, definitions, uh, false error rate, and then some uh, some prior research um, that that's gone into. Uh, this question of what do jurors uh, think the error rate in forensic science is? Yeah, and that's that's where I've got some highlights to talk about too. Did yeah, you... me too. Yep. Any... Okay. All right. Uh, so the, the the first one is a paper from uh, Lieberman. Um, yep. Yep. Fr- that's from, what I highlighted. Uh, uh, the Las Vegas from the Las Vegas area. This paper is from uh, 2008 and uh, has in general 95 percent accuracy for dna 91 for fingerprints 90 for uh, 89 for hair and fiber right that's when they asked jurors what do you think the uh, accuracy is ranging from zero to a hundred percent right right and and that's what's so important because that's what i alluded to last time when i stop lay people bartenders waitresses uh, when I give speeches, presentations to lay people, and I, and I ask them these questions, that is my has been my exactly my experience. That when you get when it's when you just ask them what the accuracy is, and they even assume it's zero percent to a hundred percent, they will inevitably fall at best about ninety five percent for fingerprints. But I think I even used another. I, I've said in other episodes eighty nine percent, ninety percent. 91, 92% for fingerprints. So seeing that data right there goes, that's exactly my experience. When you give them, what do you think? What's the percentage? Right. Um, an, another article uh, from uh, just a couple years ago from Garrett and Mitchell um, asked people to give it more of a, a descriptive uh, range. Qual- saying, qualitative. Yeah, qualitative. Is it very reliable, reliable, somewhat reliable, or somewhat unreliable? And um, let's see, 26% said very, 50 said reliable, 
20 said somewhat reliable and four somewhat unreliable. Yep. And that, that fits too. That fits with when Cedric and I did that mock court thing with our mock jurors. And we've done this several times when we gave them exactly those kinds of categories. That's exactly what we found. A couple of people went, I really trust this stuff. Most of them went, I kind of trust it. And only a handful of skeptics went, nah, I don't know about this. Right. And uh, when I first read those, those, uh, those, read through that paragraph, I, I think I, I kind of in my head said the same thing that you're saying here. That sounds reasonable. I mean, that sounds like what the public would say on average. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the second one seemed a little on the low side. I, I don't know. It, it's a 20% of somewhat reliable and four of unreliable um, or somewhat unreliable. Um, I, I would have thought it would pushed higher up to the, uh, the, the top end there, but again, well, what, what do you mean? You, you think there would have been more people saying very reliable? Um, I, if I would have, if you would have just asked me, you know, you go out and ask 250 people, ah. what do they think, you know, okay. of forensic science? Um, what, what, the, what's the breakdown going to be? I think I would have put most like here, most of the people in the reliable category, you know, would have just the numbers would have been. I would have predicted a little bit different, but uh, towards you, you the higher end, it was skewed higher, and is what you're saying. Yeah, that, but that's just my just yeah. off the cuff guess as to what people I, would say. You know, I I think when I first started doing this, that's what I thought too. I was surprised at how much I tried to impose my beliefs onto <laughs> people. True, and I was shocked when they they didn't have that view. And I remember again that you know I. I had Ron Smith and Pat Wartheim come to my uh, class I used to teach at a local college here. That These were non-scientists, and I, and I asked exactly these kinds of questions in front of them. And I remember even Ron, <laughs> going, like, like nah, kind of reacting a little bit, you know, you know just kind of poking at them and saying, but, but do you feel the same way about DNA? Like, no, DNA is more reliable. Why, why would you say that? And he just kept poking back at them. And it really was exactly what these are showing is that there is this they, – they don't have the same faith in the science that we have. That's, right. That's ultimately what it is. Right. Those are some of the, the preliminary stuff. But then the more of the preliminary prior research kind of starts going into the direction that this paper eventually goes into. Yes. Is in – Asking in, in the first case here, undergrad psych students, um, <laughs> what they think uh, they were told that a lab error rate for DNA evidence was either two in a hundred or one in a billion, mm-hmm. and then were asked with based on you know, after hearing that whichever group they were in. What do you think the odds are from uh, of in a in a case of intentional tampering, like you know you, yep. fr- you frame the guy, a coincidental match, a, either a random match probability, close non match, whatever you want to call it, or right. laboratory error? Yeah. Um, and they put that as one in five thousand for frame up, you know, tampering. Uh, one in a million for random match and one in a thousand for lab error. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Do you have a problem with the ordering of that? My, I, I guess my first question is: so this paper is showing that psych students just made guesses or were forced to make guesses based on incomplete data. Well, no, I, th- I think that's the that the point is that they weren't given data to be able to really do that, but they wanted to parse out and be able to order these three kinds of errors and and see how they they rate it. I mean, I, I took I took away from that is that they think that a, a a mix up at the lab is more is the most likely thing, tampering is the next likely thing, and the coincidental match, which is really like winning a lottery, is the most rare and nearly impossible thing, which. I kind of agree with that order. I mean, that intuitively, I I would sort of agree with that. Yes. Um, I guess my my next question. I mean, okay. So for lab error, I, I kind of get it for DNA, right? Or even 
uh, blood testing. You know, tubes get mixed up. Um, the, there's a uh, uh, let's accidental say, contamination. Accidental contamination. Right. For for for, for handwriting for fingerprint comparisons is that just a matter of mislabeling the evidence like I'm, I'm trying to kind of wrap my mind around what they have this term of a lab error rate and i don't i'm i'm really trying to you know in the broader sense of beyond the dna and toxicology uh, scenarios what is what does that look like what does that mean well, that's that's an interesting uh, take on it because that's a good point. I mean, a, a lab error for us might be just simply a clerical error. Okay. Whereas intentional tampering would be someone intentionally making an erroneous identification. And we know these cases are rare but have happened where right, right. someone reviewing the evidence realized that the erroneous ID was made and they decide not to <laughs> go back on it or – they double down on their conclusion, even in the face of overwhelming evidence. You probably made a mistake, like the McKee case. Right. Okay. Um, no, that helps. I think that that, uh, like you're saying, there is a language difference here. Yes. That I, I was kept I kept encountering throughout the whole thing of. Yes. You know what? What? And the first one that really hit me was what is a what is a lab error rate? Like, what does that mean? Um, yeah. Because uh, it's. It's not a term that we typically uh, use, um, and it, it sounds also to my ears kind of vague. So, hearing more in more detail about what exactly that looks like, uh, uh, I think helps. Yeah, I mean, again, as you point out, it's specific to DNA, and he's just because DNA was one of the ones they looked at. He's referencing that, but I, I agree with you; it might not be a one-to-one analogy for fingerprints with those estimates that they, that they came up with um or, or guesses from uh those psych students uh and with uh other studies as well uh, it looks like the study participants were were asked to choose their number based on a um 14 point forced choice log scale yes this was a, a something i referred to last week that I wasn't sure till I read the article if they were using Thompson's scale, uh, William Thompson, Bill Thompson at UC Irvine, right. that uh, used, as, as we discussed, a 14-point a, a scale starting very low, going to very high. Uh, ranging from 1 out of every 2, 1 out of 10, 100, uh, all the way up to 1 quadrillion, and then also... A, a higher point of less than one in one quadrillion defined as an impossible uh, for an error to happen. Right, right. So anywhere from a 50% error rate in the middle, it's somewhere around a million, one in a million to one in 10 million versus on the high end, um, infinity. Right, right. Yeah. Right, so this is what I had... Uh, I had alluded to last time. I'm glad I have this confirmed that that's the scale that they used in their experiment where they use this um, survey software basically that allowed them to email a group of people who had signed up to take surveys and were being compensated <laughs> in some way. And uh, they started with 210 eligible people. Of, and what I really liked about this is it's not just college students. It's a nice swath of uh, yes. different backgrounds. I think that's pretty important. Uh, different educational backgrounds, male and female, and is, is good. I mean that I, I that I like a little bit more than just using eighteen or nineteen year old. No offense, snotty nose college kids, um, <laughs> psych students, psych students, even worse. Exactly. All right. So, um, and I like also that they had these little test questions throughout the survey to see if they were paying attention or just clicking on answers to get to the next survey to get their, you know, to get their rewards. If someone didn't carefully read the question, they were excluded from the study because they weren't paying attention, you know, they, they had these little control questions along the way, which I, I like that. I like that study design. Have you ever done one of the? Have you ever done something like this before? Couple sign, uh, through SurveyMonkey. No, no, like where where you sign up with an online company and you get, you know, a nickel for each survey you complete or something like that. 
No, I just participated in a few survey monkey things like that where you're supposed to get stuff, but I, I opted out of it. I just took the survey and then moved on. Right. Years ago now, but I, um, I, I tried out some of those before, um, and it, it could just be just me, but um, I I think that, uh, you know, even that, including those questions, those are you paying attention questions, where instead of the question being, um, you know, what do you think is the, 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 the risk of error for fingerprints or whatever the regular question is, it just says, click on, for this answer, click on 10 million. Like it, it just tells you which one to click on uh, so that you don't just click, 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 click. You actually are reading the question every time. Right. Even still, I, I, I'm, I, I question the amount of thought that the mm-hmm. survey participants um use in answering each of the questions compared to what a jury would the thought a jury would put into considering the evidence in court and then reaching their conclusion yep you just uh triggered something and i'm now i'm going to tease it and i'm going to try to promise this we got to get alicia wilcox as a guest on this on on the podcast (laughs) alicia is this researcher in maine Uh, she was a fingerprint examiner and she did these great follow-up studies surveys with jurors actual jurors after trials homicide trials and i totally agree with you i mean having done all different kinds of surveys the ones that are most effective and informative to me is where i'm sitting down talking to someone and i ask them follow-up questions based on their last answer and i dig in and then i come at it from different directions and i go yeah but you said this for the previous one why is it different for this and then you catch them sometimes with cognitive errors when you point out to them they sometimes will change their answer i agree with these kinds of surveys they get less and less informal um, which is why I've enjoyed either having the participants there like we did informally for that uh, statistics study or the one I did with Cedric you know, in front of the IAI where you right. could talk to the people afterwards and go, why did, why did you guys do this? And then someone will raise their hand and go, I was the one that answered it that way. And, and they might say, I misunderstood the question. Or they might say, no, here's why. I don't trust fingerprints because my they have a story. You know, it, you ha- you can't sometimes get to the real answer, the truth of it, unless you dig in a little bit and be able to, you know, it's why even during uh, interviews when you're hiring someone, if you just skip, stick to the script and that's it, you'll never really figure out what the person's saying. You have to have follow-up questions and dig in and focus on things. But then as a interviewer, you know, you in- inject your own biases, of course, into that process at some point yes. as opposed to a sterile survey quiz i i'm with you i'm I'm very mixed about it but i'd love to get alicia on here talking about her research calling up actual jurors after homicide trials and then listening to their stories and and how they considered evidence fascinating we got to get her on absolutely i'll I'll, I'll reach out to her sounds great uh obviously there is some use and, and and i'm not just completely discounting what comes next but i i am i am contextualizing this paper uh, in that way where these are internet users that decided to sign up with a survey company to get small cash things for going through each one of these Um, and it's an opt-in an opt-in system and and not uh, necessarily representative of a random jury pool right all right, so let's let's discuss those results. So for for the the participants in this, when it came to their answers, they basically chose the well, these are the medians, so the middle, the middle or the most responses were for about one in a hundred thousand for handwriting, an error rate of one in a hundred thousand, so false positive estimates for handwriting one in a hundred thousand. Right. One in 10 million for DNA, that's the highest. Handwriting was the lowest. And in between that, the false positive error rate estimates for hair was one in a million. Also one in a million for bite marks. And one in 5.5 million for fingerprints. And that was the, the, the statistic that was thrown at me in court. That isn't it true that 
PCAST reported that generally jurors think that the error rate for fingerprints, the false positive error rate for fingerprints is about 1 in 5.5 million. And I, again, question that on the stand. And after reading this article, I'm not entirely convinced. I suspect you're not either. <laughs> what do you think about that 1 in 5.5 million? Um, it uh, looks surprising – or uh, not surprisingly. It looks – uh, suspiciously close to <laughs> the just uh-huh. exact middle of exact the list middle. of options. Is that not exactly what I said last week without having seen the article? Hey. That that was my instinct. <laughs> in fact, all of these are sort of in the middle. Yeah. If anything, if they were just to rate them without any of the numbers, that's exactly how I might have thought them coming out, except they might have had hair a little bit lower. Right. Um, you know, but again, that's me imposing my views on hair. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious here, and, and maybe the, the, this will be a, a, an interesting question for the, the, the listeners here. Skip the numbers for now, okay? We're, yep. we'll, we'll, move, we'll get back on the numbers uh, in a little bit. Um, but they, they, one of the things they talk about in this paper is just the ranking, handwriting. Yep, yep. let's uh, just go with the ranking. Up to hair and bite marks and then fingerprints and then DNA at the top. Yeah. So, um, I'm curious, Glenn, um, what would you think of with your, you know, vast, um, and learned, uh, experience? Um, uh, Oh, doctor, my doctor, uh, what, what, uh, how would you rate these? If I was from, to rank these, if you were to rank these five disciplines easy, easy. in false positive error rate, Yep, what easy. would uh, the ranking be? All right, go. Bite marks on skin. Let me qualify. Bite marks on skin would be to have the highest error rate, followed by hair, handwriting, fingerprints, DNA. Okay. You still have DNA at the top. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about true misrepresentation in some way or misassociation in some way, uh, yeah, I think so. Ah, I, I have a tough too, time. I've seen too many false positive fingerprints, man. <laughs> I've seen too I know. many in research and or training or so. Yeah. I, uh, but I, I know, but I've also <laughs> heard DNA people talking about their peaks. I know. And until more recently working from the, the exemplar back to the unknown, yeah, I know. I I don't know that they're vastly different by millions or billions, but okay. I suspect it's just a. Here's the here's the thing, and, and none of these papers. I really need to write a paper on this because whenever whenever <laughs> these papers talk about false positive error rates, and this paper discusses you know that a random match probability, in, in other words, the, the chance of hitting the lottery with a DNA profile, doesn't really have anything to do with the, the chance that an analyst swaps or contaminates or swaps a tube or whatever. That or, those kinds or of misreads the, the graph. Yeah, yeah, right. On the other hand, for fingerprints, I don't know that we can say that these are very independent. The chance of a false... A, a false positive erroneous identification actually is very dependent on the specificity of the profile of the characteristics and if it was run through an AFIS database right. you have a much higher chance of having a false positive if you have not very specific characteristics low discriminating characteristics that have been run through a database you know is what that, is that the same for, for DNA I is there the same rate of misinterpretation? I I have to I know that's what I'm saying. I there I don't know that um, I don't know that we've really explored those issues and how separate they are. True. Um, and uh, while you were talking, I was just kind of thinking maybe maybe um, uh, maybe kind of convince myself of of that order also to put DNA on the on the top in that. You you still have, um, uh, you know, out there across the country, um, and depending on the country, you know, it just varies quite a bit. Um, cops that took a forty hour class twenty years ago mm-hmm. still making uh, latent IDs. So, mm-hmm. 
Um, yep, I think that 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 does it. Although, as we have pointed out, they do tend to stick just to the easy ones, but occasionally they will get that case where they feel pressured into making a more difficult identification. Just trying to help. Extend their reach, and then we see an error. Right. Um, the Ricky Jackson case out of you know Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Great, great example. Yep. So, um, uh, absolutely. And one thing that that struck me is I think that in general the public here, the the the, the people who participated in this study, they they gen- they tend to put I think handwriting at the bottom as the the one yeah. with the most errors because it's the thing that they've kind of tried to do before <laughs> i agree i agree i totally agree with you I, I think it's because they feel it's easier um the thing about handwriting though that i think differs a little bit from these other cases is that uh, i was about to say that with handwriting they have usually such high priors you have such a limited population that you're working with that you kind of, before you pull those people in, you have some reasonable suspicion this person might be involved. And so you're not looking at large populations of individuals for the handwriting. If if you did, you might have those higher error rates because of that just um, intra-variability. There's so much range within one writer. There's so much overlap between the inter-variability between writers and it's just a recipe because they're just generally that would that's the definition of low likelihood ratios that you just end up with weaker than average evidence weight of evidence but you know, I, I think it really does depend on um, well I, I think it's very dependent on of course the size of your sample are we right. talking about matching a book versus a check handwriting right versus how was this person developed as a lead suspect that we you know, focused on them to get their handwriting in the first place. Right. No, absolutely. And then, you know, you throw in their disguised handwriting or forged handwriting and, um, which, you know, it's also leads into why inconclusive and the varying versions yeah. of inconclusive are, are, yeah. um, you know, a big part of, uh, of that discipline. Yeah. I, I, and when it comes to bite marks, I, I'm really, I am simply not. I'm. I, I haven't agree with PCAST. Oh yeah, I, absolutely. I would love to see data that proves me wrong, but I have spent enough time with Peter and Mary Bush, and seen their work on on bite marks and other people's work, and even people in the bite mark community say, "God, we're not that good. We were making errors one in four times, one in three times." That's, I was just about to say times. the that one in two kind of fits for uh, one of these disciplines here. Um, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's skin. The the issue is skin. That's it because it's a poor recording medium. Right. Uh, and then I, and then and then dental work today in the United States, people have you know everyone everyone has orthodontists and all this work. I don't think you have the same weird, crazy, snaggletooth things you might have had thirty, forty years ago. Exactly. Yep. Uh, so okay, um, I'm. Uh, I'm glad we went through that because that uh, that uh, yeah, me too. that popped in my head as a as a question that people may may have of us here. Yeah. So here here's my thing, and I'm not going to do the study. I, I I know I'm going to say it out loud. And if Jay ever listens to this, Jay, I'm not not I'm not knocking your study <laughs> because I appreciate what you're doing and I think your results are solid for the study. But I bet if I redid this study. And I'm pulling up the 14 right now. If I redid the study and put 1 in 2, 1 in 10, 1 in 100, 1 in 1,000, 1 in 10,000, 1 in 100,000, 1 in a million, 1 in 5.5 million, and 1 in 10 million, and stopped at 1 in 10 million, we'd end up with error rates of about 1 in 10,000. Yep. If I, if I put 1 in 5, 5.5 million as the top one, very few people would pick it. I really feel this. Uh, th- there is a bias for this, and it's a it's a known bias, and it's called the center stage bias. That th- that people tend to gravitate towards the center when you give them a scale, they anchor somewhere in the middle. If they don't have views that are extreme, if they have extreme views, they have no problem going to the extreme answers. Right. But unless there's something, some predicating information, and I would love to have seen the raw data, a histogram even showing what all the choices were. I think that would have been kind of cool to see. They didn't do that. Um, 
I, 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 I suspect that we would get a completely different error rate just by taking that same scale and lopping off the last three or four places. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, it, that, it, that's, that's, that's my guess. I don't have the, the data to back it up. It's the old, uh, I don't know, C, <laughs> you know, on a multiple choice uh, question. It's kind of yeah. in the middle, so. Right. I mean, it's, it's a well-known phenomenon in surveys that if people don't have extreme views, they settle somewhere in the middle. They don't – they know what the worst experience is when they're taking a survey, and they know, and they know what their best experience, you know. Right. Free booze, sexual <laughs> favors. Hookers Whoa. and blow. I What's, mean, whatever it might be on an airline. <laughs> whatever you might imagine the, the best experience you could have. All right, well, that's a five. This was – you took care of me. You gave me, you know, free peanuts. I'm going with a 3.5. And it's, it's just people gravitate towards the middle. Especially if they don't know what, what that scale is. You know, are you uh, – if, if a movie is a two, is that, you know, two stars out of – 10 out of 5 out of 4 2 out of 2 thumbs up I mean sure um, and if it's not the godfather you don't want and that's your 10 right everything else is sort of well this has to be a 7 then it wasn't bad but you know it wasn't the godfather right Right. Right. it's it's no dumb and dumber I mean come on (laughs) so anyway I I I, I, next time I see Jay, I, I will ask him exactly that, and right. you know, I'll, I'll, if I can get an answer from him, and he doesn't mind me sharing, and I'll come back and I'll, I'll share what he says. But uh, yeah, it, it was before even looking at data; it was exactly as we predicted last week. Fell exactly in the middle. So um, you know, reading on here a little bit in the in the conclusion area, one of the things that jumped out at me um, is. The, the, you know, he mentioned some of these prior studies again and says, consistent with prior empirical studies. And I was like, wait, 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 what, what? This doesn't seem at all consistent with with all the studies I and mean, with, with uh, some of them that had the same 14-point scale, it seems consistent. But the ones that were talking about a 90% accuracy right. rate... It right. seems not no, consistent I, at all. I know, and and it's the. I don't think we can ever compare these two things. These are very, very different things. Nobody ever says ninety nine point nine 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 percent. Right. If they want the one in the million, they they right. just don't. They just, they don't, just say that. don't say that. Now, I did finish reading that sentence, and it just says people rely on DNA evidence more than other evidence types. Which, okay, yes. That is consistent with with the other studies, um, uh, but um, in in my note taking on this paper, I put a bunch of exclamation points as to wait what, um, <laughs> but, but uh, I think that is something that was lacking in the discussion and the conclusions uh, is okay. So why like what about that Lieberman study like these results are way different why is that like you know I would have wanted to see some discussion on why these results are so drastically different from those um, and what that means on study design on what the jurors think yeah what did you find I don't know. I was looking for it in the in the paper here. Oh, I thought you said you. Oh, sorry, I misunderstood. I thought you went elsewhere to look up other studies that compared similar. No, no, no. Okay. Just I was I, I was hoping that he would have written about. Hey, there's this Lieberman study. Its results are very different from this one. Why is that? Um, yeah. Okay. So, okay. Overall, the conclusion that uh, the kind of his main point is that jurors error rate estimates are too low. Um, that I would agree with. That if, I would if, also agree with. If, if, and if they're even in that, if that numbers any where, the, the results of his study suggest that they are lower than what they might be in reality, I would agree with that statement. I'm fine with that. So, and uh, this kind of gets to my bigger point, okay, that's true, I, and I would I would agree with that. You know, overall, the, the like I said, the, well, the Lieberman study kind of makes me question sometimes. Maybe they, depending on how you phrase the question, they may think the error rate's too high. Because I would say a ten percent error rate from the Lieberman study is is too high. Um, but 
you know, is in the way that the question was asked in this case, their yep. their estimates, are, I think, are too low. Yep. So then my, my follow-up question is, okay, well, true, but like, so what? Okay, they, they think they're too low. Say, let's say we did the empirical data no, study. We, we found out what the error rate. Um, yep. What okay, what error rate would be too high for the um, the jury to then just say, okay, we're going to ignore that evidence? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, all right, so this is where maybe I'm, I'm infusing my own knowledge of Jay in this. I don't think that's what he's saying. I mean, I, I, I get what you, well, I get your point. He's saying is, and that's why it's so important when you testify that you give accurate error rate information because they actually need to know they have a different expectation of what the error is. And he's a big fan of, you know, and he supports the PCAST report that when you testify, you should give these upper bound error rate estimates. And he'd even be willing to just go error rate estimates in general with a confidence interval. I think he'd be willing to even skip the upper bound part as long as you give error rates with some some estimate of confidence in that number. He's fine because that is better than not saying anything about error rates at all or worse, saying error rates are extremely low and we almost never make mistakes and certainly never make mistakes when we follow our methodology and have someone verifying our conclusions. That's his whole point here is – we need to do more as in our testimony to raise juror and judge awareness of that error rates are higher than might be expected. Okay, and and on the, the next page, he says that that the the community, the scientific community, needs to study how to present this um, this mm-hmm. accuracy data to okay. judges, jurors, and others yeah. Yeah, to convey fits. their meaning and to minimize the risk of fallacious statistical thinking. Yeah. Okay. Okay, seriously. I don't know that. I don't know that. Just I don't know that's um, specific to fingerprints. No, no, I, I know. But, okay, good. All right. I mean, I, I think one of the things that this study and the other ones we've already looked at kind of shows is I don't see a way to explain the error rate in a way so that um, the the judges, the jurors, and others. Uh, have a lower risk of fallacious statistical thinking. They're they're going to think about it wrong, and the um, the the lawyers on on the uh, on either side are going to exploit that fallacious statistical <laughs> thinking. <laughs> that that I agree with. Um, and because yeah. I mean, how are we how are we going to do this seriously? How are we going to do yeah. this oh, in a okay. system that uh, yeah, that encourages? I, I one side I don't or the other. I don't know that he's talking to us, though. I, I really feel like that sentence is really much more aimed at DNA analysts because a big thing of his, and I've known this for years, I've seen him argue this many, many times, his biggest issue is that DNA analysts will not offer any error rate because they simply rely on random match probability. Right. And his whole point is that jurors have fallacious thinking and can't separate a lab error from a random match probability and that's why he referenced those other articles i mean i totally get your point here that jurors aren't great with these statistics but i think it's even worse in dna where they will lower the chance that an analyst swap tubes or whatever a lab error when they hear a random match probability right and that's that's and I, I've, I've been making, yeah, I've been making the same point for years as well. In that, um, that you know, even this even goes back to the days of, of um, you know, DNA just gets a pass in yeah. the gatekeeper sense um, yeah. we were talking about last week on the uh, error rate, uh, you know, known or potential sources of uh, rates of error, um, because they have random match probability, which isn't an error rate, and right. they just don't have one. Right, and, and it's quickly confused by jurors and judges as an error rate or a substitute for error rate. And, and you know, in this article, Jay points that out several times yes. based on that. Re- so I, 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 I get your point. I really do feel that that one is much more aimed at disciplines like DNA. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Um, and I, I think that absolutely that um, a, a black box or something like a black box study in DNA uh, would would 
you know, shed a whole lot more light on what's going on with the uh, examiners as they're teasing out those peaks. Um, kind of like how, you know, our black box and white box studies reveal quite a bit about what happens when we tease out the points. Sure. Um, in, co- in complex studies, you, in, in yeah. cases, you learn much more about the variability of how we interpret the information. And, you know, DNA has done those studies. They just, they haven't published them and they have, uh, they presented them at conferences and yeah. people have freaked out. You, you know this, right? Um, I, I've, the, the, I've heard some stories about, okay. um, well, not about that in the black box kind of research, but I've heard of stories about just, you know, taking a peek at the, um, the frequency of different, uh, alleles in a, you know, a large database versus what the statistical. Oh, no, no. They are like, yeah, that there, they did that in Arizona. That was the Arizona study. And that was, that's a terrible study. That's terrible. Uh, we can get into that in another episode. It's right. a birthday problem issue where they right. compared every pro, every profile in a database against every profile in a database to find matches. And they, that, the, ter, it was just terrible. Ter- terrible. It has nothing to do with the forensic problem. Okay. So then the, on the other side, the black box stuff, that's that, that's been done or stuff like that's been done and then just not published? People yeah, freak they, out. They, have, yeah, they have done two studies. I think I have to get, I have to look this up. I think it's called like the NIST 13 study or something like that or 31 or something where they gave a group of participants uh, profiles and had them include or exclude individuals and not surprisingly they had lots of false inclusions exclusions etc and you know and then when they presented the data the dna community freaked out and went well it's not fair because in our lab you know we have this stochastic threshold in our lab we use a different instrument and our sensitivity is this so it's all this variability which again from a researcher standpoint you go yeah but that's the that's what's happening in reality. If I right. send a, tr- a DNA sample to your lab and you get one answer and I send it to a different lab and they get a different answer, yeah, you might be using different instruments and different methods, but that's important because it has a different outcome in the criminal justice system. But they're like fingerprints was 20 years ago and they you know, absolutely freaked out and they have not published that because – it, it would it would be somewhat concerning and I think damaging for them. I, they, I think it's yeah. mentioned in, in the PCAST report if people want to dig in a little bit. But <sighs> but like like to 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 Jay Kohler's point here, they have a number that's being used wrong a lot of the time by the jurors who are hearing the number and by the judges who are hearing the number. Yes. Um, but there's a number, so nobody cares. Well, and, and let's go, let's call a spade a spade. I am well aware that there are DNA examiners today, and I run into them all the time at conferences and meet them that were trained to use a zero error rate and talk about not having an error rate because the zero error rate answer came from the FBI DNA lab. So plenty of DNA analysts today still maintain there's no error rate in DNA analysis as long as they follow the methodology. And if they detect an error and correct it, then they've done their job. And again, there's no error rate. So it's that kind of nonsense that we got in trouble with that they're still using yep. today. Uh, they they are us 20 years ago. I Have you heard of any... Of any uh, error, DNA errors that are caught in essentially verification or tech review oh uh yeah i mean they're i mean it's published in media i mean there are these labs that suddenly get these reviews because a technical reviewer will find certain things or they then have to report it publicly to the prosecutor so yeah i mean they have a technical review process where they might review data or statistics or someone else comes along and reviews and looks up the numbers or reruns numbers and says well hold on here this doesn't seem right or they find you know miscalculations or such or they disagree with the inclusion or exclusion of a of a of a of a allele peak right right so it's i don't know maybe it's just that that hindsight that we've already been through it but it's it's hard to uh believe them saying you know there's no there's no error if you do it properly when 
they're right. finding people that are making yes. mistakes. If you have to interpret, there's a chance of error. Yep. All right. Well, um, I think that uh, we've we've read this paper into the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I was glad I read it, and now I. I mean, the fact that it was proposed on you know on the stand and something I'm glad I had a chance to read now, and I feel a little bit better, you know, more informed to address it if that question right. should come up again. Right. No. Absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I think that's one of the the best. Um, defenses uh, on the stand is is um, to know the the papers that they're going to try to use against you, yeah, and and know what's wrong with those papers, um, uh, and what's right. I mean, and there's well, a lot what's of right thing, too, yeah. But um, to be fair, there's a lot of things about the paper I like too. But you know, like you said, you already pre- you predicted the the main issue with the specific number um, that uh, that was thrown at you. Um, and while you may agree with with larger themes and conclusions of the paper, uh, there yeah. are issues with the specific numbers that are being thrown around. Yeah, I, I don't know that I buy that number as the number that jurors truly think is the error rate for fingerprints. But I, I think I think lay people are sadly ignorant. <laughs> in statistics and the magnitude of statistics and and i'm going to go a step further i i think people in general are sadly ignorant of statistics and this is why people even play the damn lottery and powerball because when they hear one in 250 million they don't have any relative sense of what that means and and that they have no shot of winning i mean it's it's ridiculous that people it, I just I don't think people have any sense of what these numbers mean, and, and I don't think this is even a forensic scientist thing. I just think that humans in general. And in fact, the best example is one that came from Christoph, and I I love this because statisticians, good ones, and good teachers, are good at making people have some relative sense of magnitude. And one of the things that Christoph used to do in in one of his papers, he would say, okay. When you're saying that you can exclude all other people on the planet, what you are telling me is that basically to a 99.99999% level of certainty, you can exclude all other people on the planet. That means that the discriminability in this fingerprint or this latent print is about 10 to the 15th power. Right. And that's, that's about what the likelihood ratio has to be to be able to have a 99.999% level of accuracy to exclude the entire planet. And there's some Bayesian statistics in there. And then the analogy, he says, so what you're claiming is that since the number of millimeters from the sun to Pluto is 10 to the 15th, you can differentiate every single one of those. You have that power of discrimination in this fingerprint. And with a fully rolled finger and a hundred minutia, yeah, it'll take you, you know, uh, you know, several generations and lifetimes to do it. But yeah, I think so. But with a barely eight to nine features in the gyro system and seven are green and two are yellow, yeah, probably not. I mean, when when you think about that's what ten to the fifteen is, right. the number of millimeters from here to Pluto. <laughs> okay, that's just a number that is you know, people can simply can't fathom. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and it doesn't take very long to like get to the number of seconds since the Big Bang. You know, it is like yeah, yeah. ten to the fifty or something. Like it's the the numbers. You know. When you're when you're trying to count up what those numbers look like, they they get stupid big, ridiculous, pretty quick. Um, and uh, or the 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 one I like the most is is the the permutations of shuffling a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's my it's mind boggling, and, and again, I just don't think people have any understanding, right, or any comprehension of what these numbers mean. You know, and and that's. And that's the thing that I I think this will always be a problem when you have lay people put in the position of trying to understand statistics in a forensic criminal justice sort of setting. And when it's in an adversarial system oh, and good point. when Great we point. can 
only answer the questions that are asked to us and not actually present things in a scientific manner very 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 well said so all right well um let's uh, let's cut out from uh here uh email us eric at rayforensics.com or glenn at eliteforensicservices.com listen to us uh, every week again uh we're back and uh and, and better than ever baby. better than ever yep Anyway, um, uh, the uh, the thoughts and opinions expressed on the show are ours and not anybody else's. And um, uh, seriously, if you did, if you skipped over the intro part, look us up on Patreon.com. Uh, we can definitely uh, use the help there. And with that, see you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Have a great week. Um,